0: Hello, and welcome to Organized Sound. My name is Joshua Gibbard, I'm a music supervisor and producer at Siren.
1: And I'm Sean Rogers, Creative Director and Head of Supervision, also at Siren.
0: In this podcast, we get a behind-the-scenes insight into the composers behind the music you hear on your favourite commercials and films.
1: In this, our very first episode, we speak to Matthew Tamsedge, who has been in the industry for around 15 years, starting his career as lead guitarist and songwriter in the band Delphic.
0: We worked alongside Matt to create the music in the official film Stronger Together for the Beijing 2022 Winter Olympics, highlighting the power of solidarity.
1: We begin our conversation by taking a listen to Matt's excellent soundtrack and asking his thoughts on how it all came together. Really cool Music was excellent, excellent Really movie. made the spot <laughs>
0: um, So what was your, like, your first impression of the film? Well I think with this one uh, What was maybe a bit different about it Was that it's quite
2: a long spot And I think when it got sent over initially I think we had to get an idea back If not that day Then the next morning
0: Yeah it was like I think maybe 24 hours or just under that
2: Yeah so with with that in mind, I didn't kind of, you know, sometimes when you get a picture, you kind of watch it and you get to know it a bit and you can think about it a little bit. But with this, it was just like, bang, let's watch it once and then just start playing music on top of it. <laughs> um, so it's a bit a bit different. But what was, I think maybe it's quite nice in that way because you kind of didn't have time to think, overthink it, mm. you know, it's yeah. just kind of, um, I think what's maybe misleading about it when you first watch it without music is the claps being so rhythmic and you kind of think, well, we're going to have to incorporate that. We're going to have to do something with that. But then actually it's almost going to be impossible to do that. And you kind of just have to ignore that and let that be like the claps are almost like a narration on it, I guess.
0: Yeah.
1: I think also that was quite interesting about this brief is that it did go through quite a few transitions. And to start with, they were like, maybe we don't want music on it. Maybe it will just be claps. Mm -hmm. But then I don't think, you got the emotional connection that they wanted with obviously just with Mick Clapping. So then, but it was interesting to see how that was first incorporated and then kind of, it was there and it's definitely an added element, but it doesn't, it's not necessarily tied into the track.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think when we kind of first spoke about the music, it was kind of like using (coughs) the claps as like a structural guide. Like basically we're growing with it and then we're kind of dying with it, coming back in. Um, but obviously, there's like a lot happening. There's the, the clapping SFX, the like commentary and all of the action. And then there's a VO as well. And they wanted it to sound massive. Mm-hmm. So what was kind of like your approach with doing that and leaving space for all of those different elements, but still basically trying to make the track feel as big as possible? So starting at
2: the beginning, it was just about getting great sounds that weren't... that I, di- I didn't want to like layer loads and loads and loads of things and like oh, like make it too dense like that but try and find like two or three really big sounds and just try and get everything working to move to one place I mean the first thing I did was go to I've I've got this um white box called a Lyra and it's 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 this crazy, crazy Russian uh, synth where there's no keys on it and you have to tune, it's got eight oscillators and you have to tune them individually. But you can do really smooth pitch rises and stuff like that on it and it's just completely random and unpredictable in a really, really exciting way. And it's almost unrepeatable. Like What you get out of it is just like one, one off and, and then it's done. So with that, I went for two passes of just like this long rising thing and just tried to make that big and then i think i laid that up with another synth and then there's just like some light
0: arpeggiator thing going on in the background and i think that's basically it i thought it was funny when i first called you about this brief and i was like they want this like visceral kind of almost like unstable energy you very calmly were just like I've just I've got the thing. I've got. <laughs> <laughs> I was <laughs> it's like, like, this is my moment. <laughs> yeah, it's like I've been dying to use it. Yeah.
1: It's come uh, into its own. So
0: yeah. yeah, the thing with the Lyra is it the Lyra Eight? Is it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, they so this is from the uh, Soma Laboratory website. Uh, they describe it as a organismic organismic analog synthesizer, which uses some principles. Uh, that lie in the base of living organisms. And I think when you told me about it, you were like, basically, it's using your actual body, like the yeah. in, in your body to manipulate the sound. Yeah. So it doesn't, as I say, it doesn't have
2: keys like a, a traditional keyboard might. And it has these like metal sensors on it, two for each oscillator. So there's 16 of these things, and they're in pairs. And you just you you're basically connecting the circuit when you when you touch the two things together, that's when it triggers the sound and, and it's your electroconducivity or something. I don't even know if that's the word. That's but a technical term. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, but so if you're if you're really warm and you know if your fingers are sweaty or if it's really cold, it'll sound different. Mm. Um, and it's only a subtle thing, but. It's just really cool. It's just so it's such an unstable instrument and such a an organic kind of sound that um yeah, I I've just been I, I had just been waiting to, to like use it like <laughs> to really just like, come on, here we go, now's your time to shine. Yeah. Um and yeah, this was it. And it, it, it just really, really really did did the things. you can kind of pitch you you tune each individual thing, each individual oscillator and But then you also have like these two master pitch knobs, which I could bring those down. And so the risers, just like all of these oscillators just bouncing around and then all kind of coming up at the same time. And then I just tried to replicate that and then panned it left and right. So there's just a natural difference in it, which makes it really interesting. I think even though there's like not loads of stuff in there, Mm. that's kind of keeping your ear guessing.
1: It's really interesting that you connected with the brief so quickly and that you kind of already had from the first conversation, you were like, I know immediately what I'm going to use. With your process generally, do you like going with your first instinct? Or as you say, do you tend to overthink?
2: It's always nice when you get a brief and you're just like, I know what to do with this. Like, that's always really reassuring. But then actually, too much of that, I think, can be really negative. Like we did a job recently, where I you know I saw it and it was like, oh my gosh, like this is going to be amazing. It's going to be so good. like I just know what to do with it. And then I sat down and I was like, uh, and it was just, <laughs> it was really difficult. And it was like, I just, I knew what it was, but actually getting it down was really, really hard. And I don't, I, you know, I don't know why it works like that sometimes, but yeah, with weird. this one, yeah, it just kind of came out and was, was fine. And then that one really was a struggle to to get to the right place. So yeah, I don't know. I think maybe not having time to to double guess was good in this one but I'm glad we had a bit more time on the recent one because it was rubbish <laughs> <laughs> the person did was awful
0: uh, so, yeah. but maybe that was we did have quite a lot of time on that we had like almost two weeks on that one or because it was yeah. kind of going over Christmas and so maybe in your subconscious you were just like I got loads of time to work this out. It's too much. We just need a perfect window. I just give you loads of false deadlines (laughs) going, we need this. Less time
1: in advertising, said no one ever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, let's have a quick listen to um, the Lyra on its own because I wanted to ask you about this because it's doing so much. Pretty much that first half is almost all um, that synthesizer. it just sounds nuts it's so cool (laughs) are you kind of doing like a longer sort of rise and then arranging it in Cubase like cutting best bits and layering them on top or is that sort of just played straight from
2: I think that's all just one one long audio audio file yeah well you know one one for left and one for right where I kind of tried to replicate what I was doing but yeah so you've got like the as I was saying you've got the eight oscillators and they're in they're in pairs but they're also in two halves so you've got four and four so I think I've got four of them just doing the long sustained thing Yeah. and then the top four I'm doing the pitch bend on right. so that's where you get that constant but you also get that thing working against it Um, and then yeah and then tremolating it on, on top
0: and, and that's after yeah and that's kind of in, in base. you're doing controlling that because we've yeah. got that really cool moment as well where everything I think it must be like the master where it's like mm. Yeah, yeah. And then we also have like these distorted synths on top of it, which are doing this really nice kind of, at the end of the full. Sitting on top of that, it sounds almost like a guitar in some bits of it. Yeah, yeah, well, um, it's not. I fooled you. Uh, (laughs) It's
2: it's it's another synth, Uh, a Prophet 6. I think it is and that's got its own distortion on it it's got this amazing like analog distortion on it i don't know i mean with this again because it, we we had no time mm. it was just like right init- initiate initiate patch and then just mess about until you just got this like unholy mess yeah. um, with like distortion upon full and LFOs just pinging around and um i actually tried to recreate that sound this morning because i was like how did how did and i kind of got it but I couldn't get like the end of it where the, the octave comes up. And so I've I've really no idea. Like it was just a blur, like in that moment of just like, ah, I get something down.
1: <laughs> just meant to be. And it just happened. Yeah. So I was, I was very
2: lucky with that. I wish I could just be like, yeah, I could I know exactly what I'm doing all the time. <laughs> but no, I think sometimes you just mess about and hopefully, hope you hope you're recording. But I time.
1: quite like that kind of some things are chance. It feels that way with a lot of like testing out textures and texting out like instrumentation ideas and things like that and it's like you kind of test things out and then against the visuals like sometimes something that you're so sure will work when actually you see it against the picture Mm -hmm. and you see it against visuals actually uh, you know it might not necessarily work but then just you through chance i don't know we were just talking about it the other day josh and i like that there's like so many articles out at the minute and people are like oh i just happened to do this and then left something in and i actually just went into a session where one of the engineers had just tried something and then the director really liked it but they were like i actually had just forgotten to mute it but actually it works really yeah. well and it's like a really nice idea but that yeah some so much of this does come out of just testing and trying hmm. trying yeah. different options i do that
2: all the time i, I always make sure that when i'm messing about and just getting stuff down I don't ever delete it I'll just mute it and then leave it up there and then later on when you know the piece is maybe a bit more formed just try just try muting stuff and just see if anything clicks and sometimes it, it really does
0: yeah no it's really cool Um. and I guess as well what I wanted to ask you about with this one was the structure that changed a lot and we were having to extend sections and I guess if you've got all these kind of synths that are sort of one-time-only goes at it. Um, what was your experience with that on this job? Because um, we were kind of... I think the first... When we were chatting about it last night, the first half pretty much stayed the same throughout, and you were kind of saying that that was more free-formed than when we kind of get into a tempo-locked, beat-driven part. How was that for you? So in the, in the track, there's essentially
2: three sections, isn't there? There's like the initial rise, and then there's the, the middle rise or the moment of turmoil and then like the, the release at the end yeah um and i think yeah i got the call saying that the ending and the middle rise they wanted them to be switched around yeah i think that was the first thing which with them not being exactly the same length or anything was was kind of uh you know an interesting uh <laughs> situation to be in. interesting <laughs> um and yeah, and you kind of think, what, like, I, you know, and sometimes to you, it doesn't make sense. You kind of, you kind of get these calls and you're like, but why? Like, it, it won't. and I tried it. and I was like, oh, okay. I, you know, I, I see what they're getting at here. Like, this could be kind of cool. So we had to, yeah, swap around the middle and the end sections, but then that left the end section being just noise. Like basically the middle section was always just like this, these random churning synths and noises. So I think I'd ended up just opening quite a lot of omnispheres and playing around with those and and just decapitating them and saturn and just compressing everything and just really smashing it to get something interesting and different out of it for this middle section and then yeah we had that end section which i can't remember how long that was how long that remained as noise
0: yeah initially um the kind of driven bit was just going to be over the title cards at the end so we were kind of getting maybe two bars of it um but that whole kind of 10 seconds before it was just noise and then i think it kind of stayed the same um but the proportions changed so we were kind of you still had the general same general structure throughout it but it was like instead of the uh final rise being about 20 seconds long it was seven seconds and then we were extending that very small two bars at the end into maybe like 15 seconds of it but do you find yourself like getting attached to a specific version like obviously we don't have often have a lot of time to kind of live with the changes and sometimes you're submitting it and we've got it into a place where like we're really happy with it and then we're kind of changing it very quickly and sometimes when i watch it after having watched your earlier demos, I'm a bit like, my brain's kind of expecting it to go into that section <laughs> and then it doesn't. And I'm like, oh, yeah. but then a few days later, I'm like, oh, actually, yeah, I can really see that it's it's working really nicely now. Is that difficult for you when you're kind of like, you've got a version where you're pretty happy with it and then you're having to change it or are you kind of open a lot of the time to?
2: I think you, you have to be open to change, you know, doing this. You kind of like, you can't get attached to anything. Like I have things that I do that I really like and I'm like, Oh, that should be it. Like that's the track. Like this is this is really great. But as soon as a client comes back and they're like, Yeah, we're actually thinking like the opposite of that. You just kind of have to just drop it and and that's it. Um so yeah, I've learned I mean, you know, coming from the background I've come from as well, you learn not to be like precious about ideas. Um I was gonna say with this one, there was a version that I really liked. Um, I was listening to some of them this morning before I came down and there's one in the middle that's got this ending that's really like I'm a big fan of Clark and um, and uh, there's one that had an ending that really I'd probably like subconsciously (laughs) ripped off uh, (laughs) him but um, I really liked it and I was like this this is this is great like this this you know I see what they're getting at this is cool let's do this Mm. and then they came back and they're like No, like you know, get rid of that. We want a completely different thing, and so that was tough. But you just don't have time to to think about it, or or
1: yeah, because I (laughs) I think also at the end of that one, we were reworking, and also obviously, especially in advertising, you have like kind of layers of complexity with feedback. In that you've kind of got your creatives, and then your creative directors, and then your ecds, and then obviously you've got the client at the Mm -hmm. as well to kind of feedback to. And I think like the end kept changing quite a lot because obviously the edit changes but then also the client was really keen to kind of get that we reworked it a lot at the end getting more warmth and that kind of excitement and a real optimism through the end and then even so much i kind of think it got down very detailed into kind of the like different beats and like when the um when like the 16 hat pattern and stuff is coming in at the end and kind of it really did get down into the minutiae of this which sometimes it does feel like broader strokes but this got down to quite kind of detailed mm-hmm. feedback from the, for the ending and it was just like you know we're kind of telling them we're using like the offbeat shaker and then it's like but more this is more of a house beat and things like that and it's like they really did have quite a lot of detailed feedback but yeah how you kind of deal with that and then sometimes you just like do you ever get frustrated with the, with the feedback or the changes or I mean you must uh
2: Yes, <laughs> yeah, you do. I mean, with this track, you know, at the end when we were getting down into like the different beats, I remember, you know, we, we had like two hours to do the beat at the end because they were in session and they wanted different stuff. And I did these two beats and then I listened back to it that night after sending it. And I was like, oh, no, they're both awful. Like I just <laughs> wish I'd had more time. But, you know, you kind of just, you have to just look at it right. Okay, two different beats. What am I going to do? I'll do one. Yeah, a bit more house, you know, a bit more techno and and see what works and it you kind of stop almost judging it yourself there are times you know i think at the beginning of the track you're thinking right what would i do here what what do i think is cool with the track and then there are times at the end when you're just like right how many options can we can we give the the creatives what can we do for the clients to just show them the different possibilities with the track Mm. and you're kind of thinking I think this sounds really bad, but you know maybe it's what they're after because it's so hard with music, isn't it, to kind of say, to to talk about it and to say. Like, I mean, you know, I say, oh, I did a house beat and a techno beat, but my definition of a house beat and a techno beat mm. might be really different to someone else's. So it's it's impossible to say, and you can only really illustrate it by by doing it and by getting it over to them and 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 seeing what comes back.
1: We'll mm. come on to kind of how like your background and things in a minute, but like, with advertising, do you ever find that because often the edit will be locked ahead of the track so then you're kind of working to a set picture and to a set edit which might not necessarily time right to what you're writing so it is how much of a challenge do you find that or do you or with your experience do you find it kind of easier and easier as you do more and more
2: I guess I guess it does get easier I mean I remember when I first started I was like really (laughs) like really carefully tempo mapping things before I'd even get into stuff you know and and now it's you know I rely, I do rely on happy accidents quite a lot with, with stuff but if an if an edit's locked like, I'm really happy. Like, I, you know, I like, I <laughs> yeah. don't care, like, whether it doesn't fit what I'm thinking or anything. I'm like, if that's locked, great. Like, count me in. Because like, <laughs> the worst is when you've, you've got it and you're writing something and it's like, yes, yeah, so we've just done got a new edit here. And uh, we just shaved, like, 20 seconds off this section and added five seconds to that section. And you're just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, but
1: you're we like the way it. everything hit before. So if you could yeah, do that yeah. again, that yeah. would be great.
0: It's never quite. A beat, over it's always like a fraction or something. <laughs> yeah, but what's amazing is how the, <clears throat> the the human brain just doesn't actually notice this
2: stuff when you're watching it with picture. Like I think if you know, if I'm at home just listening to it, then it feels really weird if something stops on like six bars and and seven eighths. Like what you know, your brain just like immediately gets twisted. But when it's with the picture, you can actually get away with loads. it's is you know? I guess what I've learned is like. You're not. Don't panic. Like you can kind of just like move things just a bit, and it clicks.
1: Definitely, I Mm. think the visuals help trick your brain. Mm. Because if you're expecting something to happen in the visuals, then and then the music follows. You're like that kind of that works. You don't question it.
2: For sure. For sure.
1: Because that's one of the things that we wanted to ask you about a bit about like your kind of musical background and kind of how you came into kind of composing for picture.
2: Yeah. Um. So I. I think formally I you know played some instruments at school I did music GCSE but but that's about it and uh but I guess from the age of about 15 I was playing in bands and like covered bands and then you know our own doing doing our own music um and always kind of writing in those a bit um and then I don't know spent some time still doing the bands at uni and just like you know Playing all of the awful venues you could imagine like, in <laughs> Manchester and, and around the place. Yeah, played a lot of really depressing places. <laughs> Feels uh, like
1: that's really haunted you. <laughs> <It> really <is. laughs> <You're changing laughs> me. They were the <laughs> best of times. <laughs> they were the worst of times. Um,
2: yeah, there's one particular gig in Luton that, that really stayed with me. But um Good detail. Uh, <laughs> well we walked in and it was uh, it was a pub that was oh it was a music venue that was also a Chinese restaurant mm. and um, we went in there and there was blood on the floor of the toilets. I think I might I'm not sure if I've mentioned to you. this So there's blood on the floor of all the toilets and uh you know we said you know, is everything okay and, and the the proprietor, proprietor of the venue was um mm. Basically said, Oh yeah, yeah, don't worry, don't worry. One of the lads just got out from prison today, so they're just celebrating. It's all fine though. Like, come on, come on set up and we just like a... Yeah, and then we played that gig and it was we literally got paid in Chinese food and we played to <laughs> one man and his dog. And it's not not even a joke, not even it's literally one man and his dog. A real high sandwich, point yeah that so what, was
0: what kind yeah. of music were you playing
2: um so i guess it was kind of indie music you'd say right. indie music with a few synths and i mean when was that it was probably like 2005 maybe 2006 something around then and then yeah so we, we did that for a while and then eventually the bands i was in morphed into a band that was actually like half decent and we managed to to uh get a record deal and and release a couple of records through that and then that kind of all blew up or popped or faded away. I don't know. They're quite different. Because um, of options there yeah. To yeah. between. Well, it was, it was a kind of a, a long extended blowing up maybe, um, which led to a quiet fading away in the public consciousness. <laughs> but like to us, it was probably a bit more violent than that. Um, just after that, I moved down to London with my uh, now wife and um, she worked in advertising. So I'd actually always been into uh, music and adverts. So when I, I, I studied psychology at uni and my final dissertation was on the effect of music in in advertising and I kind of wrote this big uh, thing on that. Um, so I think I kind of always been into it. And then when, when I moved down, I started uh, doing some engineering and a bit of this and a bit of that, just trying to work out what to do and uh, just really enjoyed the composing part of it and... Uh, didn't win many jobs early on because most of the stuff I did was not great. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you're just working out like how to, how to do it. But thankfully, um, you know, people stuck by me and uh, yeah, I managed to, to, to carve out some sort of career in it.
0: On those early jobs, were you working with supervisors or direct uh, kind of production companies or clients?
2: I think a lot of that was just, uh, I think most of it was with supervisors. Yeah. yeah. But with with different levels of interaction, I think a lot of that was, you know, I think maybe because I'd kind of come from this band background and, you know, a lot of the supervisors might have known the band, um, they kind of just like left me to it, which is great. And, you know, uh, it's a nice way of working in in some, some cases. But I think for me at that time, it was probably quite tricky to make that leap across where I think the main adjustment is realizing that, like, the music is very much supporting the picture you know I think I kind of came to it like right here's this picture I get to put some awesome <laughs> music on it and like and just like blow away everything with the music like why is the music not louder? um and these pesky yeah.
1: sound designers always mixing it oh, low my goodness, for goodness yeah. sake <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the sound effects
2: um but yeah so yeah realizing that you're supporting it and not to kind of like cram in musical information to like every bar and not to overdo it really, I think took me a while to kind of to to learn.
1: How did you get your because obviously like yes, you're aware of advertising, but like did you come down and talk to people or did you how how did you kind of find your way into into advertising specifically and also other forms? That's a really
2: good question. Um I'm trying to remember. I I well I started running um, at a few different places I actually came Did some time at factory I was running a factory
1: Big up the factory uh, massive factory. <laughs> And
2: uh, yeah I just walked up past the kitchen I was like oh, It's all coming back <laughs> <laughs> Can I get you a tea? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> naturally offering well. it's like Running into all the studios and, um, So yeah I did that there And I also worked at A uh, place in Soho Square and, uh, and yeah I think through that I met a few people And I'm trying to remember How I met I met a girl called Steph Perrin, who works at the time at Felt Music. And she actually invited me to, um, there was a sink drinks thing. Yeah. I don't know if you guys partake in this still. We or do frequent we do. sink yeah. drinks. So I went down to a sink drinks at like really early days and just met a few people there. And Steph was really helpful and she kind of told me, a few people to get in touch with and you know let me say oh I know Steph like you know so that's kind of how I connected with a few people there and then you know I think naturally you just kind of find people that you work well with and um, people that stick with you when you're just like throwing all this like really bombastic music that's not fit for advertising Uh, and yeah I think the engineering kind of faded away and I just started doing music more and then went freelance and here we are.
1: Yeah, because we met early doors with Anthony Moore, mm. sound designer extraordinaire at Factory. Um, <laughs> but how did you how did you meet h- him? Because I met you through Ant.
2: Yeah, well, Ant and Lou and Lizette were actually really awesome to me um, when I came and did that week, or maybe it was a bit long, I think it was a few weeks at Factory. They were really nice and. It was really weird because most of the time when you go and run at places, people don't talk to you, and, and like, unless they're like telling you to get things for them. Um, but those guys were actually all really, really nice. And um, I got on really well with them. And uh, yeah, I think we met um, back then during that time. And I, ju- I don't know, it's weird because as a runner, you kind of just feel, you know, you're just starting out and you're just like happy to be there. And you're just working hard, like running around all the time. And so when people, uh, you know, take an interest and in are really supportive of you, I think it like means quite a lot. So I kind of always tried to keep in touch with with Ant and, and, and with Lou and, and Lizette a bit as well. So I think <clears> that was it. And I think from then going freelance and and kind of working a lot more with Siren, um, that was really great. I think you guys have been really supportive and given me loads of opportunities. And uh, working with Siren as opposed to other music companies, I find I, I get on really well with you guys and um, the working relationship we have I think is is a really positive one where I think like you can kind of tell me if something's rubbish and and I don't mind just like sending stuff over and I'm quite open to you know I feel like we kind of are all at a level where it's like I, I'll just send stuff over and see what you think even if it's really early doors mm. um, you know I think with with a recent job Josh I sent something to you that I would have never even thought about sending something to people that early. Um, But it's nice being able to do that.
0: No, yeah, I I think it's really interesting how different composers kind of engage with us um, because some people are kind of very much like they want the brief and then they want to be left to it and then they kind of just want to deliver it and that be it sort of thing. And then uh, other people, yourself included, it's kind of more, it feels more of a collaborative process where we're kind of like sounding off of each other and sort of trying things out um and i was going to kind of ask about that earlier when we're talking about the very short turnaround um times and like not really having much time to live with stuff i imagine and i might be wrong uh from your perspective it's quite nice to be able to share it with us before it going straight to client and kind of getting some initial feedback on it because it's just fresh ears i guess but i don't know what do you think is that, is that true yeah no I love it I,
2: I, I really rely on that bit I think now actually I think at first it was a bit weird because you kind of send something off and you think right we'll send it we'll see what the client thinks and then we'll come back but and then you know working with you guys it's much more of like right we'll let you know what we think and then you know then we'll send it over to the client and at first it might have been weird but now whenever you guys tell me a deadline I'm like can I just make sure is that the deadline for you guys or is that the deadline to send it over that you're sending straight away because I just want to make sure I, I like hit that before then so we can like have that back and forth because yeah I really really do rely on it now I think it's really great to kind of you know especially with COVID uh, you know I mean I just, to be honest it's even without COVID like you, you know I'm just like locked in a studio all the time like just on my own going slightly bonkers um, so having that like outside influence is really, really great to kind of, you know, you 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 look at it from a different perspective. Mm. And, and I think that's really important.
1: I think both of us really enjoy that kind of collaboration as well. And also kind of, we completely appreciate when something's a sketch and we're not kind of feeding back. We're not being like, oh, it's not, you know, the yeah. mixing isn't this or that. But I think you know obviously we know that's not what we're feeding back it's kind of it is a sketch it's just a skeleton of an idea and and then we can kind of work it up together i th- always think that's quite a nice way to work
2: because mm. it's weird with with a lot of clients you kind of think when they're talking about music um that they they know about music and they can hear when something's a demo or they can hear when something's more fully finished and polished um but actually a lot of the time they can't and there's there's nothing wrong with that it's it's just like I think it's probably just a bias from someone that's been like in music for ages you can quickly tell when something's a sketch or when something's more fleshed out and a real thing Mm -hmm. um but working you know you guys have obviously been in the same situation and it's like a vital link between a composer and a client you know because you're able to hear it from a client's perspective Whereas I might not and just be like, what, you can't tell? You can't, can't tell the compressions off on that? Um, it's also so. that
0: thing, I guess, of you know there's an element in there and you've listened to it soloed in in the track and then you kind of have that psychological, like you can hear it even if it's not fully audible. So yeah. I guess that's more of like a mixing thing, but sometimes it is just those really small changes. Even with clients, they're kind of like if you're they not aware that something's in there, Until you bring it up a couple of dB and then it's Mm. like, oh yeah, like that's it kind of thing. But that was interesting as well, what you were saying about the drum beats on um, the IOC and kind of really getting into the specifics of what kind of beat we were using, what kind of hi-hat sound and all of that. Because as well, I find sometimes um, having a few different options, even if we're like, really don't like this option, like I really (laughs) would prefer just to send this option, it helps the client often be like, oh yeah, I see why this works better now. Um, having that comparison point. Um, or sometimes it goes the other way and they're like, oh yeah,
1: let's, <laughs> let's, let's go with this one. <laughs> the joke option. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When we were kind of chatting about your, you know, like how you got into music and all the rest of it, you're kind of saying about that you've always kind of been interested in, in music for adverts and things like that. But, uh, And I guess wider the like scores and things like that but is there anything from when you were young or older whenever you first saw it that was kind of you know the first moment where you really thought oh the music's kind of made that picture whether it was an advert or a score or anything like that was there anything that you remember seeing when you were like oh that
2: yeah well advertising wise I mean um Guinness adverts were probably you know I hate to be like cliche about it but Those, you know, like the surfer and. God, I love surfer. Oh my gosh. I mean, just that was just so, so huge. You know, those, that left field track is insane. And it's one of those amazing examples where the picture elevates the music and the music elevates the picture. Mm. Um, Most adverts, you just, you know, you might get the occasional jingle, especially, you know, back then, you know, I think it was much more functional music. Um, and I think now music's evolved and adverts to be far more important and I think there's far more creative license with music as well but yeah film wise I mean John Williams obviously is is like the, the king but in, in, in a very John Williams way you know and I think growing up you kind of like you watch these Spielberg films and it's just like oh my gosh like even now like the music from E.T. like just makes me cry but aside from john williams i think you know stuff like uh like terminator score um and escape from new york and stuff like that i remember you know we would record all these films on our on our vhs and me and my brothers would watch them and i mean i remember terminator just being like really terrifying like the score of that just being so like that that drone that i'm sure is like the genesis for like the Hans Zimmer drone now like yeah, the, yeah. the Hans Zimmer yeah. um, <clears throat> and uh you know that that was huge and you know those stabs in that thing was just they would it was just insane like how how powerful the music was and really how it added this extra level to the picture um and then escape from new york's just just really cool like, i just love all the the synths on that and blade runner blade runners I mean, probably you know one of my favourite films, and the music on that is just really makes it a, a different world. Like from that first moment of that like, yeah. film, where you have that like the, the, the harpy type thing, and all the CS80s on it, And it's just like, oh man! But yeah, I could just I could just watch and listen to Blade Runner all day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I guess you know those are the ones that kind of showed how how music could be different, you know, how music doesn't have to be. Because John Williams was always amazing, but always seemed so unreachable and it always just seemed so like, you know, oh yeah, John Williams, Debussy, uh, yeah, Bach, yeah. Mozart, you know, it's like this classical music that is so beyond anything that I could ever imagine. But then you hear this other stuff and you hear how it's just textural a lot of the time and it's just adding this emotion to the track without being like a big theme. Mm. Um, and I think that was something that yeah really stuck with me
0: what kind of age did you get into synths because i was kind of introduced to you by Ann as like he's a really amazing guitar player but then working with you over the last like year and a half two years i find more and more we're, we're kind of talking about synth based music and you're kind of like we're just geeking out about like different different synths and how we can use them and stuff um so, yeah, I always find it funny that I initially, when I think about you, I'm like, oh, he's, he's a guitar player, but then the majority of the time we're using synths in the stuff that we're making. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's um, it's definitely
2: uh, something that I've come to relatively late. I think I've always kind of loved the sounds of it, and I think in a lot of the music that I've been a part of, synths have always been there. And I mean, growing up, my friend had a, a Juno 60, um, and I think a 106 as well which we just didn't realize at the time like it's just, his his dad just had them from back in the day <laughs> and we're just like messing about in the garage just like bashing all the keys i have like, these things that now are worth like thousands of pounds yeah like not realizing just like fiddling it's about like a and, toy keyboard <laughs> yeah no it really was like that. i feel really guilty now <laughs> um, these like amazing vintage synths um but yeah so always much more of a guitar player that liked messing about on synths you know never really understanding what they did um and i think it's probably since since leaving the band and since kind of getting into you know more composition where you're doing everything Mm -hmm. yourself you kind of have to learn a bit more about them and then just working out the different synths and how they produce different sounds and different emotions and textures and all of that now i just yeah much more of a synth nerd. I like, I you know, I still look look at an old like Fender Jag or something and 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 I I still feel really happy looking at that stuff. Yeah. But um I think the possibilities on synths are just so huge. Mm. Like the way you can root things and the way you can add these effects onto it. And with guitars I was always into the, like the effects on the guitar. I never really thought I was a, a very good guitarist. I would just have like it's a huge bank of effects pedals that really mangled the sound and made it into something else. so
0: um, So you're kind of doing synthesis in a strange way yeah (laughs)
2: maybe yeah i think i think it definitely helps with like a a grounding in it but yeah now i i I, nothing i like more than just you know being given a brief and it's like right so we just kind of want these synth textures i'm like great (laughs) i'll see in a few days
0: (laughs) but you you obviously you're so like what you compose can be so diverse like we've done briefs where it's like very synth heavy or very guitar led or even classical like and your programming is so good across all of them but is there like um do you find yourself writing more in one style one guitar uh than you would maybe like is there is there a genre that you'd gravitate towards guitar more than going straight for a synth sound or are you kind of interchanging between them constantly
2: yeah i mean I guess my initial thing now is much more start on the synth, um, just because it's there in front of me. I have my guitar set up, but I have to turn on the amp. Right. I have to get all of that. I kind of have to pick up the guitar. Like, uh, it just like <laughs> takes a bit too much time. Um, so I kind of start on that. But you kind of you just know with an idea like oh that that bit would be great on guitar, or like I might do a lead line or some octaves or something on the guitar just to kind of beef it up. But I mean, I find a lot of the time with the briefs that we get they're much more this is a guitar type track or this is a, th- a synth thing and it's kind of obvious mm. which one to go for
1: yeah
0: and that's kind of your starting point for the. yeah
2: i guess i mean it's tricky like you know each track's different with with starting point i mean you know we did a couple of things recently where it's all all drums you know and you kind of just like mm. get that beat and then make that beat sound interesting and cool and you're kind of layering up some electronic drums and the acoustic drums and then other times, you know, yeah, you're just starting with synth textures or, you know, there's a re- the recent job we did where it's like strings into a rival consoles track, into like <laughs> Clark and then into Radiohead. I think that's what's really cool about about doing what we do is, it you know, it's always different. It's yeah. always just like a chance to try out new things.
1: Going to the drum thing you mentioned, that was quite interesting because we obviously worked pre-visuals on that one. And then actually yeah. they did give us, you know, guide breakdown of timings but actually the timings didn't change that much so then it all panned out but how did you find that working ahead of picture which hardly ever happens especially in advertising
2: really weird really really tricky actually like it's always nice to have a picture but in a way not having the picture there was less um, less pressure in a way because it was very much just like early sketches and it worked out really nicely because actually maybe then you're able to lead the picture a bit and they might even edit it to, to fit if you're, you know, if, the, if they like the music. I don't think they did that with this. I think we just were lucky. No, I think they the edited to then,
1: the track. Oh, right. Oh, that's nice.
2: Mm. Um, well, then, yeah, <laughs> that <just> makes, ha- <laughs> it, makes it way easier. <laughs> but they had, given, yeah, they had given us
1: the rough timings, but then mm. obviously those timings did work out to how they wanted to tell the picture in the end, mm. like I'm sure... Sure. Yeah. If it hadn't worked out, we might have had to change the <laughs> <a> track.
2: <laughs> yeah, but no, that, it was it was difficult actually because you have no idea of like the tone of the <clears> advert. <throat> you're trying to trying to just imagine whether it's you know how moody it is or how like poppy and and fun it is, and it's really tricky.
1: Totally, yeah. and also I think so much of the pacing and things is taken off the edit, mm-hmm. so it's like sometimes if you're trying to obviously we do end up working sometimes ahead of ahead of getting visuals, but it's like so much can change once you get a picture and you see an edit and you're like oh actually what what people thought might have worked up front and that, you know we've been briefed in things and it doesn't necessarily translate once you've actually got a visual because because yeah there is so much in the edit that kind of dictates
2: yeah yeah that's one of those things where you kind of if you start see that picture you find yourself building in blocks you're kind of getting like right we'll do this for two bars and then we'll add this element and then maybe two bars after that we'll add that element and you build it much more as you might do a normal music track and then you get the picture and then it's like, right, here we go with your like half bars and like, <laughs> yeah. third measures and you know, mm. yeah.
0: One thing that I was kind of thinking about when you were talking about the structure of that last job we did where you're kind of like imagining it as different people's tracks <laughs> into each other. Do you like Are you imagining this might be a weird question, but are you imagining you are them and you're like what with i what would i as that person do i think what it is is it's just kind of
2: certain progressions that you might hear or arrangements mm. that you you might you might naturally gravitate towards right so you know i think with that one you know it's very much like certain synth sounds and how they might program that synth and you kind of go with that and i think yeah with that one there was very much a, a rival consoles and the blaze kind of vibe to, mm, to a big big half of it yeah then it developed into more of like a Roan type thing mm. i remember that was you know yeah very much the influence on, on the middle section and then the end i don't know what the end was the end was just like <laughs> just chuck it all together just, and see what i think I at one
0: was. point we were like let's just put white noise in there so right it's just like filling yeah. out all of the space there is yeah um, sounded great but no i just wondered because i don't know have you ever done any writing i know you write stuff for like a personal project of your own stuff and obviously write for delphic it being in delphic but have you ever written for um like another artist or kind of considered that and um i think we
2: i think post just post delphic we did some writing for someone but not on a not on not in like a serious way right i mean i do know i kind of feel like when you're writing for for adverts and you know you you are writing for the people then mm. you know i think that's what's nice you know i think doing your own stuff is fun but i feel way more pressure doing like my own stuff than i do doing the music for the adverts where it's like you know you have a set thing and you're trying to like hit the brief and hit the sync points and just kind of just yeah. get that right whereas on your own it's like I could have any hi hat sound I like. Yeah, yeah, this what could hi-hat be hi-hat anything. Yeah. I'm going to get no pushback. <laughs> I know. And so I'd get nothing done. Just all day, like, <laughs> tweaking filters. And he's like, oh, God, what have I done? So, yeah.
1: Yeah, I feel like we should just say, you were very self-kind of deprecating about the Delphic <laughs> days. You were like, oh, this little band, but, like, obviously pre- yeah, pretty massive.
2: Huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we did. We We played a lot of shows, and, you know, I think we were really lucky. I think we kind of came out at a time when there wasn't a lot of other uh music coming out i think we we snuck in through the the door just about again again and, uh, very
1: self-deprecating <laughs> wow well, i don't know i don't
2: know it was fun i mean you know we got to do some cool stuff and uh it's nice it means that i i never uh you know i don't have any desire to go on tour ever now I don't <laughs> got have that out of your system yeah. I, like if i never go to another festival like i'm okay with that
0: uh, were there yeah. any like yeah. places that you did tour or festivals that you did that kind of stood out i imagine they all kind of start to merge a little bit because a lot of festivals mm-hmm. and gigs can be quite similar i'd imagine but um was there any that were just like kind of weird or stood out
2: um i mean there were lots of of weird ones uh I mean, I remember doing like a, a European tour. We supported Block Party and um, we were going around in this bus that this absolute madman from Nottingham, I think, had had like converted this old school bus um, and these bunks. So it's like a sleeper, but it was like, it's just like an extended van basically, but with bunks in the back <laughs> and we're dragging the stuff on a trailer. And these bunks were like, I think you had probably about 30 centimetres, maybe 40 centimetres to like... Lion, and you had this roof right on top of your head, and you think if we even just go over a speed bump, I'm just gonna break my nose. Um, so there's that. Um, sounds relaxing, just, oh gosh, and it was like traveling in style. It was, it, yeah, it was Europe in February, and it was you know going up to like Sweden, and I think we went to Helsinki as well, and you know, in in the middle of January, February, and it was just freezing. Um, so there was that, but then, yeah, some amazing moments. I mean, you know, we got to go to Japan a few times, which was. Uh, just completely mind blowing, um, and play some cool shows there, and then yeah, got to see some amazing, amazing bands. I, mean, I remember seeing um we saw Massive Attack at a festival in Austria, and we somehow, you know, because because you, you've, you've got the pass right, so you can like you can <laughs> like right, should we try and get side of the stage? And some festivals are, like really tight about who can go side of stage, and. Um, like places like Glastonbury It's like you, You're not going inside of the stage like Unless you have like <laughs> The special pass It's like <laughs> Grades of passes, At Glastonbury um, But yeah In this Austrian one They had this Enormous uh, rig You know where, Like the sound engineer Is like in the middle Of the crowd yeah. And this enormous rig For the sound engineer And then above him Was the lighting dude And um we managed To go into that And go up to the top <laughs> And so we're standing there Up on top of all this Like sea of people Watching Massive Attack And um yeah that was that was pretty special
0: and there he is Matthew Tanzage, looming over you all at a massive attack concert
1: that is sadly all we have time for on our first episode Woop woop! Please join us again when we speak to more fascinating guests about composing music to some of your favourite commercials and films.
0: You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts, so please make sure you subscribe and give us a little review if you like what you hear. Thanks to everyone who contributed to the making of this podcast. Our artwork was designed by Javade Hadji and our music was written by myself, Josh Gibbard, at Siren. This podcast is a Factory Originals production. <laughs>